Welcome to the Mentia Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. This is Solveig Brown, and today my guest is Alan Byfield. Alan is an accomplished senior finance executive with more than 30 years of global experience in finance and operations management. He has driven world-class business strategies within multi-billion dollar organizations. Alan recently retired as the deputy chief financial officer of George Weston Limited. Prior to that, Alan spent 30 years at Nortel Networks, working his way up to CFO, where he led the most significant finance transformation in Nortel's history. Alan is known for developing high-performing teams and is a successful change agent. He is an active volunteer in his community and has served on several boards. Alan and his wife live in Ottawa, Ontario, and they have three adult daughters. Alan has been mentoring for Mentium since 2007. Welcome, Alan. I am thrilled to have you as a guest today. Hi, Sylvain. It's good to be here. Great. Well, Alan, you have had an extremely successful career. Can you talk about how taking risks has impacted your personal and professional development? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, actually, from a very early age, at the beginning of my career, I decided that what I would do is try and change jobs. I mean, one thing I really love to do is learn. So it was important to me to sort of have different experiences. So quite often I'd take on a job and I'd, sometimes I'd take on roles and I maybe didn't have all the skills that was needed. And at the beginning, you find it, you know, quite difficult. You go to work from time to time. You feel really nervous about what you're doing, but, but you learn. And I developed over the years, I developed this analogy that seemed really, uh, it's a plant-based analogy, really. And it's one where <clears throat> if you think about a plant, you take it from a seedling, you put it in a plot and it grows. And, it, and at the beginning, it wobbles a bit. Then it wobbles and what happens, and then it grows roots. And by and large, then what happens, it becomes secure in the pot. Then as it grows, it gets a bit root bound. And at that stage, really, it needs, it needs a new environment. So you take it out of that pot and you put it in a bigger pot. And then the same process begins. And essentially, it wobbles a bit. And then it grows and then it gets root bound. And then you have to move it again. And your career is a bit like that, really, you know. There's the early parts of those new roles that you have. And there's that feeling sometimes you think, gosh, what the hell have I done? How do I do this? Um, bit by bit, I think you grow into the role. Then you become, you know, secure in that role. And then you start to add to the role. And you get to the point where you go, I need to take on a new challenge. So I think that analogy works quite well for me. You know, and I think it works for most people. And it's one that carries on and on and on. And even since retiring, I still do it. I still do things and take things on. I think, oh, gosh, what the heck have I done now? But, you know, it all works out. I love that analogy. And um, it also speaks to the fact that sometimes taking that risk or changing a role is uncomfortable. And so I like the plant analogy because, yeah, the plant is a little wobbly, but you do. You get your roots, you get your footing. And then after a while, it's time to take another risk. That is great. When you think back to early in your career, what lessons did you learn that have made an impact on your career trajectory? I think the most significant one I learned was actually fairly early in my career. I think it was about 26, 27, and I became the controller of a, of a business. And uh, it was a fast expanding business. And we started to lose money hand over fist. It was uh, it's one of those things they take, took on some contracts and they wasn't making any money. Um, I had a small team or a team that worked with me, but I think at that point in time, I thought I had to do everything myself. And 
I probably didn't sleep properly for six months. It, it was terrible. I was, I think we were just married. We'd had a, our first daughter. So there was pressures at home. And there I was thinking I could, I was the one that had to do everything, right? And whilst I've always been good with people, I, it was almost a pride thing, really. I needed to solve this until my boss, who was a really good boss, sat me one down one day and said, like, things aren't working out. We really need to get to the root of this problem and you need help. So we got some people together and we, and we, eventually solved the problem there was a there was a problem in terms of how we were recording time how we were costing these particular projects and for me the biggest single learning really was is that if you're going to do something it's not all on your own you really need other people and like any great team whether it's a football team whether it's a hockey team or whatever it's made of people with different skills and different experiences and you've got to understand what your strengths are what the strengths of the other people are and how you bring those all together you know so whilst it to me it was a really uncomfortable experience i'll be really honest um it was one that stuck with me the rest of my life you know that, that i realized that if you don't know something ask and find somebody that does and, and you can solve the problem it's much easier and not only that is i think the burden of sausage soldiers once you've shared a problem with somebody and you've got more people working on it the, it's sort of the pain as it were dissipates to some degree as opposed to trying to shoulder it all on your own i see many people sometimes they're too proud sometimes to ask and uh, they're just they're doing themselves a disservice really yeah that's so interesting you talk about that because one of the hallmarks of your leadership style is you are a fantastic team leader and you really empower people to reach their maximum potential while working together so can you tell me more about your style of leadership and what you do to bring out the best in the individuals around you and the teams that work for you this is going to sound a bit like a cliche but i think communication is absolutely key and listening. So I think what you do is you bring people together. And when you bring people together, I think first and foremost, you need to set a vision. You need to sit together with all of the people that you're going to work with, all the leaders, as it were, and you need to come up with a vision. And you come up with that vision. And then really, it's down to you to help your team implement that vision. And one of the things that I've always said is, is that my job is to make the people that work for me successful. Their job is not to make me successful. So once you've set that, it's then a matter of trying to help them, guide them, and have them, if you like, um, fulfill that vision that you've collectively put together. That means listening, understanding, putting together you know, checks and balances, having regular meetings, updates, all those things. But it also means as a manager, it's a really important thing that's really difficult skill to learn, when to step in and when to stand back. Standing back, letting the people do their job and letting them exceed is really important. But sometimes they need help. So sometimes you need to know when to step in. And sometimes that can be intuitive as well as it's not only about understanding and it's keeping, it's, it's having those meetings, finding out projects, plans and things like that. So there's not one simple answer to this. And, and it's also about hard work. Honestly, it's about putting the hours in, understanding what people are doing, being, you know, helping them. It's about supporting people. Right. And you led one of the most significant finance transformations in Nortel's history. So I assume that started off with the vision and how and you had to really, you know, motivate and empower all those people around you. What is your formula for creating success, successful organizational transformation? And do you have any advice for those leaders in the midst of change management right now? Well, I think first and foremost, it's about just 
defining a vision. You have to define that, define that vision up front and people have to buy into that vision. So to get people to buy into that, you need executive alignment. So you really need to get all the executives across the organization bought into that as well. Once you've got that and you've got everybody on board, then you can start about delivering it. But that means communicating as well. And I went back and checked when we did this, because when we did that transformation, it was a two-year project. And over those two years, I think I did 15 global webcasts, 96 newsletters. I think we did 55 sessions of sitting people around the globe talking about what that transformation meant to them and there. We had 35 face-to-face -face sessions around the world with people. And we did 80 advisory meetings. So I think what you can see is that communication is not just a word, it's a set of actions as well. And you have to work hard to do that. That's notwithstanding all the technical things you have to do. I mean, when large things like transformations fail, it's not because of the technology. Somebody can fix the technology. It's because people don't buy into it or you haven't got everybody pulling in the same direction. I mean, to use another analogy, what's really, really important, if you're, if you're in a rowing team, you have to get all eight people in the boat rowing in the same direction at the same time. And if somebody starts to run, doesn't scull at the right time, the boat doesn't go as fast as it should do, or it may even go round and round and round. So it's really important that you have everybody facing in the right direction. And that means constant communication, not, oh, I told them once and forget about it. Now you've got to keep doing it and keep doing it. Somebody once told me, and I don't know if this is true, but it's quite amusing, that if you move the light switch in your bedroom, it takes 20 times for you getting up in the middle of the night and not hitting the wrong place. So, Yeah, <laughs> I believe that. Whether it's true or not, I think the point is, is you need to communicate and communicate. That is a great example. And I really like... I mean, the depth of the numbers of the the levels of communication that you had to put out is stunning. So it like I like your idea that you have to keep repeating that and keep going and that it's not just once or twice. It's an ongoing tactic that you have to use. Yeah. And you have to get people's views. You have to understand their views along the way. And if they, sometimes you have to not completely change direction, but maybe you have to move it a bit because you hear things and people if things aren't going to work, there's no point in bashing your head against the wall. You need to understand why it's not going to work, and then what do we do to move it along? There's certainly, over the period when we delivered that project, there were certainly you know, bumps along the way, and those bumps had to be dealt with. And that meant coming up with solutions. That means getting people on board in terms of what the solution was going to be. And you need to, you need to keep doing that. Your job, as part of that project, is to make the tough calls. So you can, there are two things you need to do. You never lose sight of the big picture about what you're trying to do, but also your job's to make the tough calls. So sometimes you're not going to get 100% alignment, but if you need to get like, if 80 or 90% of people all facing the right way, you need to go push on and get the thing done. Right. And it goes back to the listening too. So having the vision, listening, and then figuring out the, the way forward, even in tough situations. Yeah. As I said, it's a lot of hard work in some ways, you know. Yeah, and the hard work, right. But also, you know, one thing is you need to do something you enjoy as well. So enjoyment, I mean, it might seem strange, you know, some of these things can be at times quite stressful, but you want to be there doing something you enjoy. So you want to do something that you think is going to make a difference and it's going to help people. 
Yeah, because that really gives you that energy and drive to keep going during those times when you have a lot of work to do and it's hard. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, Alan, you worked with a coach earlier in your career. What did you learn from this experience? I guess, first and foremost, I took a lot of the things I had as natural abilities for granted, to be perfectly honest. And I think Joanne was her name. And uh, she was a great mentor, to be honest, or coach, to be perfectly honest. And she made me focus on myself. Too many people don't want to focus on themselves. They do the work in hand, but don't focus on what they need to do to progress themselves. So she made me focus on where, what things did I need to get better at? How do I plan my career? Where do I, what steps do I need to make? So she made me accountable in a sense to myself, which is a strange thing to say, but she did. And, um, you know, I worked with her for quite a few years, to be honest. I think it was six, I can't remember exactly, but six or seven years. And um, she was a huge help to me. And, and she made a big difference in my career in the sense that, you know, I did start thinking about not only for the, not only the organization, but I, what I needed to do for myself as well. And because uh, you need those things to be brought together. So you're at your best when you're pushing the organization and doing the best of the organization, but also doing something for yourself as well. So that was important to me. Right. And you've really paid that forward in mentoring. You started mentoring in the Mentium 100 program, focusing on women and mentoring women in their field. What made you get involved with Mentium? Well, it was actually at the back of the time when we were doing this uh, financial transformation. So we had a number of women leaders and in the projects and um, what we wanted to do as an organization is push women forward because I think at the time uh, Mentium was a woman-only organization. So I we put them on this all on through the Mentium process. And two of them came back to me and said, Well, why don't you become a mentor? And I said, I hadn't really thought about that. But it's certainly aligned in the sense that I'd always been wanting to push women in the sense, partly because I have three daughters, as you said. So yeah, I mean it's it was always important to me for women to have the same, if you like, opportunities as men. Uh, you know, things have changed a lot in my career, and it's certainly the case now. So it, it was a good opportunity. I mean, the other thing was, is I don't even know about Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, but if you go back to that, the very top one is self-actualization. So I think you get to the point where it's not only about how you've developed yourself but there's a, something really rewarding in the sense if you can actually help others as well so for me it's about leaving a legacy it's about trying to take what I've learned and you know lots of people have helped me along the way and it's in, in many ways it's about giving back in that way and hoping that you can be of some value to other people why waste the skills that I've got Right. Um, that reminds me of something I've heard you say in Mentium interviews is that your goal on mentoring is simple, to help another professional reach their full potential to the best of your ability. I love that clear and concise goal. And it fits in with Maslow's hierarchy of how you raise someone up and the personal fulfillment you get from that as well. People go to work, you know, sure, they go to work for financial rewards. I get that. But ultimately, they go to work as well because they want to do something that they think is rewarding and they're making a difference. So I think everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to feel like they're being heard. Everybody wants to understand that, you know, they're making a difference and they're doing something that, that matters to them and they're learning along the way. So 
I think if you can do that and you can feed all of that into an organization and have everybody feeling like that, you get a massive boost in terms of things. You know, who wants to go and work for someone where it's really difficult and people are painful and they don't like where they're working? I mean, gosh, I don't want to do that. You're right. I don't think anyone does. And just the the inspiration and the energy a whole group of people get when you feel like you are making a difference is, you know, unbelievable. So Alan, we have time for three final questions. Um, the first one is, do you have habits that you feel have contributed to your success? Um, yeah, the first and foremost is curiosity. Um, if you ask any of my, I don't even have to go to work, but you can ask anybody I work with, I ask lots and lots of questions. So, yeah, I think that's always helped. I always want to understand why, you know? Um, I forget the name of the author that wrote that, you know, the book about why, but it's, it's when I wrote, read that, it was really resonated with me because it's always been the case for me. It's, I've always wanted to understand why. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? You know, what is it? Why do we need to do that? So for me, it was curiosity. And I think that natural curiosity always helped. And I always look for curiosity in people. I think if you get curious people, you get good people because people that want to understand why it works and how they can make it and how they can change it, you know, that's important really. And you look at the people that really made a difference in the world, you know, even in technology, if you think about some Elon Musk, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, whoever, I mean, they're very curious people. They want to make the change. And I think that's, that's to me important. Right. And then I like how you always combine that curiosity with your willingness to take a risk and do the next thing um, that needs to be done. So what would your advice be to up and coming leaders? I think it is that it's push yourself, take risks, be prepared, you know, keep learning, you know, keep pushing the boundaries because you'll grow as a person. And um, it's, What's better than, if you like, you want to live your life when you look back and say, I did all the things I wanted to do. One of the first things Joanne did to me as a coach got me to write my obituary. And if you think about what that means, it really means about not wasting your time. And it really means about making the most of your time while you're here. So, and taking risks to my mind is, is not taking risks for the sake of them, but he's actually doing things that push you so that you don't look back and say, gosh, I've wasted all that time or when I could have been doing these things. I don't want to, I want to, if you like, you want to get to the end of the period, whenever it is, in the sense of you've done the things you wanted to do. And that's important to me. And I like that exercise because it really makes you look forward to think, what do I want to see when I look back? Yeah. And so it helps you be more strategic. It goes back to your idea of always having a strategic vision also for your life and the contributions that you want to make um, personally and professionally. So my final question, Alan, is do you have a favorite saying, quote, or motto? Well, one of my bosses once uh, said something to me, and it's always stuck with me, which is only touch things once. So what I try to do, and... You know, if you think about people's email today, which is the scourge of everybody, I try to only touch it once, meaning that I look at it, read it, deal with it, move on. I'm quite good at doing that. I mean, nobody's perfect, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but too often people read it, stew over it, put it to one side, come back to it, do that. But it's not just email, it occurs everything. If you can get, if you can touch it once and move on, I think that's an important thing because, again, 
you get you become a lot more efficient. That is a great quote. And I also like the efficiency of it, the time management piece of it, of just taking action in the moment and getting it done. Yeah, one, somebody once said to me, uh, do you want something done, give it to a busy person. Oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> because you know how to get things done. Yes. That is great. Well, Alan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I love the potted plant analogy um, to think about taking a risk and that it may be a wobbly at first, but then you'll grow into that. I love hearing about how you are a good listener and that it's always important to have a strategy and vision and the importance of communication to get everyone on board and all rowing in the same directions. Um, I also really am inspired by, you know, your dedication to paying it forward and to helping and empowering people to reach their full potential. Oh, thank you. Thanks yeah. So thank you all for listening to this Mentia Matters podcast. We have many inspiring guests lined up, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For additional resources, you can find show notes on the Mentium website. I look forward to having you all back next time.